Welcome to the Evolved Caveman Podcast. I am Dr. John, the guide for your heroic journey towards greater health, success, and most importantly, happiness. And now, on with the show. Hey everybody, this is Dr. John back with yet another episode of the Evolved Caveman. And I think we're on like, I don't know, we're over 180 episodes. We're four years in. Um, can't believe this is still going. Um, but it's been a lot of fun. I find it uh, soul rejuvenating and it it does fill me up to have these conversations and do the research and simply share the best information I can find with you, the listener. So thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening. And today, my show is a solo cast about narcissists. How do you identify a narcissist? What is a narcissist? How do you define it? What do they do to people? What does a narcissistic parent look like? How do you deal with a narcissist? As much information as I can pack, I'm going to share it today. So let me begin. Because I spent all morning on Super Bowl day writing this out for y'all. Narcissist. The word is so overused as to apply to everyone and no one. What's going on here? Narcissism is an important issue to me personally, as I have a great deal of personal experience dealing with these people. And I'll, I'll get into that in a little bit on this episode. There's research that shows that our society is growing progressively more narcissistic, per Gene Twang. Social media has been part of the fuel here. The self-esteem movement back in the 70s and 80s was a problem for those who had narcissistic tendencies. It could make them more narcissistic. So there's numerous influences that have had an impact here. And it is, as they say, overdetermined. There are multiple causes leading to this. And narcissism is truly a big deal when you consider that potentially one out of every 10 people has full-blown narcissistic personality disorder, and far more than that have strong narcissistic tendencies. And one of the things that angers me most about these individuals is that our society runs on trust. And without trust, our society breaks down. And while most people are honest and trustworthy, Narcissists use this knowledge to exploit it for their own personal gain, and in so doing, risk threatening the very fabric of our society. And narcissists aren't interested in being anchored in truth. They're more interested in what they can tell you in order to manipulate you. Facts be damned. So where did all this narcissism stuff begin? Well, it can be traced back thousands of years ago to the Greek myth of Narcissus, the story of a man so vain, so proud, so self-absorbed, that he obsessively fell in love with his own image, gazing into a pond to look upon himself. In the field of psychology, Freud used the term narcissism to describe the relationship between libido, or sexual appetite, and the ego, that part of the mind that mediates between the conscious and unconscious mind. Freud considered narcissism to result from an interrupted childhood transition from self-directed to other-directed libido and showed up in tendencies to dwell in a fantasy world more so than in reality. However, Freud also liked to have cocaine blown up his ass. So what the hell does he know? I guess you could say a Freudian. I am not. But I do like the story about him getting coke blown up his ass. That's true, by the way, as far as I know. Um, he actually, I don't, 
does that give you a numb ass? I guess it also gets in your bloodstream, but it just seems uh, like an interesting little fetish that Freud had, one of many. So more recently, let me get back to the point, psychologists view narcissism to lie within the domain of clinical psychology. So when you ask, what is narcissism? Let me share a few definitions so you can get a better idea. Because what we don't want to do is go around and glibly call people narcissistic or NPDs. Because almost everyone that I've talked to that has an ex-spouse says, oh yeah, they were narcissistic. Now, you can say that they have narcissistic tendencies. Really not proper, in my opinion, unless they have a diagnosis to say they're narcissistic personality disorder. And I'll talk a little bit more about that in this episode as well. So per the DSM-5, which is the, the Bible of psychiatry, Narcissistic personality disorder is defined as comprising a pervasive pattern of grandiosity, grandiose in fantasy or behavior, a constant need for admiration, and a lack of empathy. So let me go a little bit more into that. Many studies have sought to develop measures of narcissism. And of these, the most frequently used is the Narcissistic Personality Inventory by Bob Emmons. He investigated the construct validity of the MPI and found four factors which exist in narcissism. And these are, number one, exploitative and entitled, the belief that one is good at manipulating others and entitled to do so. Number two, leadership and authority, the belief that one possesses an incredible ability to influence others and the preference for leadership and authority roles in general all the better that they can shit on people below them. Number three, superiority and arrogance, the belief that one is simply better than others and is a natural born leader, typically based on very little or running counter to the feedback that they've gotten in the past. And finally, self-absorption and self-admiration, an elevated sense of vanity and the belief that one is special. Another view of narcissism is based on the big five framework. In this model, the framework of interpersonal traits is represented in terms of two dimensions, agency and communion. And the vector that diagonally slices the two axes of high agency and low communion is the heart of narcissism. So they have high agency and low communion with others. Subsequent research has confirmed this idea that narcissists are relatively high on agency and low on communion. And this maps well onto the big traits, the, sorry, the big five traits of extroversion and agreeableness. So an easier way to think of this is given to us by Paulus, who described high narcissistic, highly narcissistic people as, quote, disagreeable extroverts. A very nice, terse explanation. Another view of narcissism is based on attachment theory. And according to this working model hypothesis, attachment styles are structured around one's perception of self, positive versus negative, and others, positive versus negative. So highly narcissistic people have a positive perception of themselves along with a negative perception of others. So they naturally see themselves as above others, as more special than others. And these identifying features typically result in negative effects on these individuals' interpersonal affairs and their life in general. In most cases, on the outside, these individuals act with an air of entitlement and control, confidence, charm. They dismiss others. They frequently showcase condescending or denigrating attitudes. Nevertheless, on the inside, 
narcissists battle strong feelings of low self-esteem, low self-worth, and great inadequacy. Some NPDs can achieve great achievements, yet their functioning can be adversely affected as these characteristics will still screw up most of their relationships. And relationships with narcissists work best with people who defer to their version of reality and who do not challenge them or offer any constructive criticism. This is because the narcissist is largely incapable of receiving disapproval, actual or perceived criticisms of any kind. In addition to the fact that the NPD typically exhibits a gross lack of empathy and a pervasive disrespect for others. One of the useful ways that I think about narcissistic individuals is as an adult baby. No, really. Because a baby, like a true narcissist, is concerned only with themselves and their own needs. They are completely self-focused. They don't have the ability to focus on others. And because their empathy is low, your suffering doesn't register with them or move them to compassionate acts. So it allows them to manipulate, use, and abuse others. Researchers have distinguished narcissism from related concepts such as extroversion, hostility, and self-esteem. Of these, perhaps most prevalent is self-esteem. And research has indicated that narcissism is positively but slightly related to self-esteem with the correlation varying by self-esteem measures. And the conclusion is that narcissism does not appear simply to reflect exceptionally high self-esteem. But the two get confounded a lot of times. So first, before I get any further into the, uh, the heavy material, <laughs> a quick groaner of a joke. How many narcissists does it take to screw in a light bulb? One, she holds the bulb while the world revolves around her. Oh, okay. So can narcissists be helped? Narcissists rarely seek counseling because they cannot self-reflect. They lack the ability to introspect and consider, hmm, maybe that is something I should look at. Maybe that's something I need to work on. Maybe that's a weakness in myself. They can't do that. And what's more, one of their primary defense mechanisms, in other words, they excel at externalizing blame. It's always somebody else's fault. Because their sense of self is so fragile, they struggle to accept responsibility for their own actions, choosing instead to blame others whenever possible to protect their fragile ego. And if, to them, nothing is their fault, what is the need for them to work on anything? It's a very convenient defense mechanism, and yet it does leave them stuck at the developmental level of a young child in many ways. And that's, you know, I, I do believe that Freud was a little bit onto something where the development, the normal development was interrupted at a childhood stage where they never really got out of that self-focus, that self-centeredness, that egocentricity, because that still exists in them at a very high level. And it's important to note that we all have some narcissistic tendencies. So keep in mind that narcissism runs along a spectrum from slightly narcissistic to full-blown narcissistic personality disorder. Some narcissistic tendencies are functional and even healthy. It's a matter of intensity 
and how many you have. But there's a massive difference between having some mild narcissistic tendencies, for example, being self-absorbed at times or being selfish at times or like focusing on self-care at times. There's a big difference between that and being a full-blown narcissist. And, you know, whenever I'm talking about narcissism, it, I think they've brought up such trauma for so many people that almost everyone I talk to will, will at some point or another, the, the thought crosses their mind where they say, um, am I a narcissist? Am I a narcissist? And while you don't want to self-diagnose, it may help you to consider this. If you're worried that you might be a narcissist, the odds are that you are not one. Because narcissists generally lack the kind of empathetic self-reflection that would lead, lead them to even consider the question of whether or not they have a personality disorder. They can't consider it because it, it crumbles their ego. And this is partly why narcissism is so rarely treated and why it's nearly impossible to accurately quantify how many people have the disorder. Best estimates put the prevalence of NPD at about 5 to 10% of the general population. And that's just NPD. That's not including people with strong narcissistic tendencies. So there's a lot of these rat fuckers out there. And keep in mind that roughly 40% of these individuals also have an overlapping diagnosis of borderline personality disorder. And that's a whole nother podcast episode, I suppose. But to say that they fuck with people's heads and hearts is a massive understatement. They can cause permanent damage. And they'll blame you all the way to the bank while they're doing it. So what are the symptoms of NPD? Well, they include the following. A grandiose sense of self-importance, which may be shown as an exaggeration of or even outright dishonesty about their abilities, talents, and experiences, as well as an expectation that he or she is vastly superior to all others. And, and that belief in and of itself to me is dangerous. Because to me, what I think we need more of in this world is we need to find ways that we are similar to all other people. We need to look for things that we have in common. It's misguided to look for ways that we are better than or more special than or smarter than or more accomplished than others. That disconnects us. We need ways to build connection in this day and age. We need ways to build psychological bridges. All right, back to the symptoms. So narcissists are obsessed with him or herself. Their goals are almost always self-centered and self-motivated. They might look like they're thinking of you at times, but that's usually to manipulate you and get something out of you. They really struggle with healthy relationships and human connection. They become enraged when they receive real or perceived criticism. And that perceived criticism is a big pain in the rear. Because you may be saying something, you don't think of it as a criticism or feedback, but they do. And they respond in anger. They have fantasies of unlimited success, power, intelligence, love, and beauty. They believe that they are unique and special 
and therefore should only hang out with other special high-status people, regardless of their actual ability, beauty, or status. They require extreme and frequent admiration for all that they do. They are extremely entitled. They have unreasonable expectations of special treatment. These are the folks that won't wait in line at a restaurant when there's a line to be seated. And they'll get angry at having to wait in line. They are manipulative. They take advantage of others to further their own needs. They have low empathy. They cannot or will not recognize the feelings of other people. They often know the feeling words to say, but do not feel the emotion underneath. So that's a critical distinction. And it's confusing if you're with a narcissist because they can say, oh, I'm sad or I'm angry or I'm hurt, but they don't feel it truly because they have low empathy. And they sure as hell don't know what you're feeling because of that low empathy. They have low emotional, I guess that's low emotional awareness and low emotional low emotional intensity and low empathy. And it's a very dangerous trade as someone who does not feel others' pain and suffering has an easy time using and abusing that person. They may be envious of others or believe that others are envious of them, where envy is wanting what you have and not wanting you to have it. So a narcissist is willing to take you down to get what you have. And that's just bad behavior. Narcissists behave in ways that are arrogant, disdainful, contemptuous, and disgusted. And when you consider the four horsemen of the apocalypse, per John Gottman's research, it quickly becomes really evident how narcissists put a real big kink in their hose of connection. The four horsemen are scientifically proven to increase the probability that a relationship will crash and burn. The four horsemen are criticism, contempt, defensiveness, and stonewalling. And those with a high degree of narcissism are naturally predisposed to excel in all these areas. They are critical of others due to their sense of superiority and their poor view of others. They are contemptuous of others, which is anger mixed with disgust. Because in their mind, no one is as aware and intelligent and able as them. They are highly defensive because their fragile ego cannot handle feedback or criticism. And they get flooded in relationship disagreements and quickly go to anger as a result and either attack or shut down. So you put all these ingredients together, and this is a celebrity chef's top recipe for relational clusterfucks. I think I actually had that once at Guy Fieri's restaurant in Vegas. Relational clusterfucks. It was delicious. So how does a person become a narcissist? Are they born that way? Is it learned? And this is a hotly contested topic in the world of psychology with many theories and no real perfect answer. And personality disorders are pretty typically kind of hard to pin down uh, when it comes to this question. But most researchers see it as roughly 25% nature and 75% nurture or environmental. A narcissist doesn't have to come from an abusive home life. However, narcissism can develop because a partner or caretaker was neglectful or unable to provide emotional attention or abusive. Or it could be the opposite. A parent provided too much fawning attention and the child never learned frustration tolerance and developed an expectation to always be the center of attention. 
And those same situations can lead to very different outcomes for very different people. So it's not a guarantee if you have any one of these things that you're going to become narcissistic. Might be more resilient. Who knows? And research shows that a narcissist is likely to have been raised by parents who believed and acted as if their child was more special or entitled than others or neglected them emotionally or physically or abandoned them or verbally, physically, or emotionally abused them. And, you know, one example of this is perhaps mom and dad cared more about the child's achievements than their emotional health, which never happens, at least in my area. That was sarcasm. I don't know what the research says about narcissists and sarcasm. Anyway, there's now compelling research that supports the notion that normal narcissists love the self abundantly, far more than they love others. Narcissism is negatively negatively related to agreeableness, empathy, gratitude, affiliation, and need for intimacy. Well, that's a pretty lousy list to be negatively related to, honestly, and kind of guarantees the misery of narcissists. As I always say, there's nothing sadder than an aging narcissist. Narcissism is positively related to hyper-competitiveness, exploitativeness, Machiavellianism, anger, hostility, and a deeply cynical mistrust of others. Also, compared with people low on the narcissism scales, high narcissists relish direct competition against others. In other words, they are competitive mofos. Furthermore, narcissists glorify the self, conveniently disregarding the possibility that their self-promoting tactics might constitute a slight against others around them. Narcissists will rate their own contribution to pretty much anything as more important than that of others, even when that judgment is contradicted by observers and peers. In other studies, narcissists have shown themselves to be interpersonally dismissive and abrasive. One study gave narcissists bogus feedback, or I guess gave participants bogus feedback, some of whom were narcissistic. When the feedback was unfavorable, narcissists regarded that evaluator as incompetent and unlikable, an opinion that they were prepared to share even in a face-to-face interaction. Moreover, not only do narcissists badmouth unfavorable evaluators, they also are more willing to behave aggressively toward them. In other words, their anger justifies their behavior. Narcissists are master manipulators. These guys are famously difficult to deal with because they are masters of manipulation. They have a lifetime of practice at finding your soft spots, places where they can effectively apply pressure. And they know exactly what to say or do to push our most vulnerable and wounded inner parts in order to get what they want. Can narcissists be truly in love? Let's say you're in a relationship with a narcissist. I've done that. Narcissists are capable of love. However, their love feels conditional and wavering because ultimately they need to isolate and control you. To make it more complicated, A narcissist can be selective in how and where they present their narcissism. So it's context-specific, or it can be. Narcissism can be very problematic in some relationships and environments and not in others. 
A person, for example, may show their narcissistic colors at home, but not at work, or at work, but not at home. So again, just be aware that with, as with a lot of behaviors and traits, narcissism can be context-specific. And this is where I've done a lot of work in my past professional life, and that has to do with children of narcissists. I've seen a lot of teenagers with a narcissistic parent, and you know, what the hell do you say to them? Like you can't get out of that relationship. You can't just break up and leave. So that's a that's a tough one. And people with narcissism who have children can and usually do severely damage their children on many levels. Generally, narcissistic parents are possessively close to their children when they're small. The children are a main source of their own self-esteem that make them feel good about themselves. They like to show others how cute they are and how well-dressed they are. When children are young, in my opinion, they're more akin to dogs. They love us unconditionally. They revere us. They listen to all we have to say. They want to be scratched whenever we want to scratch them. Well, dogs anyway. But when they become teens, they're more like cats. Independent. They think parents are stupid. They question the rules and the behaviors of parents. And given what we've discussed, you might be able to see where this could cause some problems for the narcissistic parent. So generally, they like kids when they're young. They really struggle with them when they're teenager. And when the children grow to become more independent, that narcissistic parent can feel jealous or envious of or threatened by the child. And that's where the, the fireworks start. While there are many ways in which a narcissistic parent abuses his or her child, there are times that a narcissistic parent is kind. And this makes the abuse harder to handle for children because the child knows that that underlying tension means that one wrong move means that things will go wrong and the parent may fly into a narcissistic rage. So you're walking on eggshells. So children of narcissistic parents develop strategies. They learn to adhere to their parents' agenda and to their parents' perception of reality, even if it's out there, in order for their lives to be relatively calm and stable. They learn to adapt. And in so doing, they give up huge aspects of self. Asserting their feelings, their rights, or their thoughts can lead to much, much bigger problems for them. And typically, kids will do this a few times, and then they're like, shit, it's not even worth it. It's better just to bury it. Children of narcissistic parents learn that their feelings are invalid, unimportant, and inconsequential. They often feel worth less. They can stifle all their feelings just to keep the peace in the house. And when a narcissistic parent is kind, the child learns that this kindness comes with strings attached. Generally, those strings involve guilt or a feeling of being beholden to their narcissistic parent. It's a version of, if I do this for you, you owe me. So the child is thus exposed to very conditional love. They are loved if they are happy. They are loved if they are well-behaved. They are loved if they are not embarrassing the parent. They are loved if they are always grateful for what the parent has done for them. And in my experience with a co-parent and an ex-wife, same person, who has narcissistic tendencies, I've experienced a myriad of bizarre behaviors and responses to our children. 
The most recent example happened a year and a half ago. My 17-year-old daughter was over at her mother's house. Her time there was kept to a bare minimum by her, by my daughter, as things had already devolved on many levels for her with her mom. And at the time, my daughter often wore baggy clothing so as not to be objectified by men, which happened with some regularity. One night, she went out with friends and wore tight-fitting jeans, one of the first nights she'd done this in a long time. When she came home to her stepdad and her mom, they were entertaining another couple and everyone was kind of drunk. And her stepdad commented on how great she looked in tight jeans and then smacked her on the ass. Let me repeat that. Her stepdad commented on how great she looked in tight jeans and then smacked her on the ass. My daughter was shocked, escaped to her room, and immediately texted me as the insanity began to unfold. Later that night, her mom came to her and sought reassurance. Not for my daughter, for herself. She took my daughter's face in her hands and said, Ah, now you're not going to go all crazy in the head over this tonight, are you? After it blew up and others in the family caught wind of what happened, thereby creating a lot of disbelief and anger, the dissembling and the excuses began flowing like diarrhea of the mouth. I used the back of my hand. It was a compliment. I was aiming for your shoulder. That never happened. And so on. Madness. And you see where if you start to believe what your trusted parent figures are saying, you can learn to mistrust your own memory and your own senses. And that is crazy making. Now, shortly after this episode, my ex-wife kicked Molly out of her house for good, saying she couldn't come back because the therapist said it wasn't a good idea as there was too much discomfort. And honestly, I think in less evolved households, this dynamic can occur frequently where a stepfather or boyfriend begins to notice the younger, more attractive stepdaughter, and the mother sees this as a threat to her relationship, and so kicks the daughter out. It's never about the child. It's always about the narcissist. The damage? Well, my daughter asks me at time if she is worthy. She wonders this because her mom has gaslit her for years and validated how she feels and repeatedly rejected her on many, many levels. So the damage is real, profound, and lasting. And as I mentioned, gaslit, one of the most pernicious strategies used by narcissists is gaslighting, a way in which narcissists and other abusers use lies, intentional or not, to make their child or their victim question his or her own reality. So a child or a partner may end up feeling as though he or she is crazy. An example would be insisting that their feelings are important. The, the narcissist insists their feelings are important while the child's are not. Until the child begins to believe it. Gaslighting is one of the most insidious forms of emotional and psychological abuse I've seen. And I've seen this dynamic over and over in my personal and professional life. Over time, it convinces people that they cannot trust their memories, what they see, what they feel, what they hear, and what they think. Perhaps you can see how this might truly fuck someone up long term. And in dealing with 
teenage children of narcissists, one of the first things I'll tell these clients is the following. I will look them straight in the eye and say, I need you to listen to me as deeply as you possibly can, because it does not get any more important than this. I need you from this point forward to trust your memories, to trust your senses, to trust your perception of reality above anyone else's. This means that you trust what you hear and see and learn to question what others tell you that you hear and see and recall. And a good idea around this is to begin taking notes on your phone after any significant interaction with the narcissist. You just jot down kind of a a brief explanation of what happened. That way you can refer back to them, those notes, when the narcissist inevitably says things like, that never happened, or I didn't say that, or you don't really feel that way. That shit is fucking poison. That shit will destroy minds and hearts. And the sooner we get on top of this dynamic, the better it is for our mental health. Don't doubt yourself. Doubt the fucking narcissist. Another classic dynamic is narcissistic rage. Narcissists cannot deal with any challenge, criticism, or insult. And when that happens, the narcissist will often launch into a rage-filled attack, spewing insults, attacking on unrelated topics, and becoming physical and aggressive with their children or or partner. If this is a dynamic you recognize, there is a simple but not easy solution. First, you want to recognize and name the dynamic, such as, oh, here we go again, dipping into the narcissistic rage, I see. And that's in your own head. Second, you want to stay calm and remind yourself that you've done nothing wrong, that this isn't about you. Breathe deeply, coach yourself internally, say something like, relax, this isn't my shit, this isn't my issue, this is all about them. This is just their defense against criticism. Breathe. And then watch for them deflecting from the issue at hand, which you originally wanted to discuss. When that happens, which it will, calmly redirect them back to the original issue over and over and over. Like, I understand you want to talk about what a raging asshole I am right now, but can we talk, can we get back to this idea that it really annoys me when you get, when you come home late for dinner? Or it really annoys me when you sleep with other women in our marriage, you know, something like that. Let me give you an example. When I was married towards the end of my marriage, my then wife accused me of having an anger problem. Now it's true that I was getting angry at that point in response to her insane or irrational or self-absorbed behaviors. But I wanted to be fair. So I said, all right, let me take a look at that. And I did. And I worked on it. And I got so good at managing my anger that after a bit of practice, I could stay calm while she was screaming and swearing at me when I had done nothing wrong. The beauty of this is, at that point, it becomes readily apparent just who has the anger issue. Okay, back to the example. I remember one day she began yelling at me about something I had not done. She's swearing and screaming. So I split my attention and I put 70% of my attention onto her so I could respond effectively. And 30% was on me in my own head. And I was coaching myself saying things like, take a deep breath, 
relax. This isn't about you. This is all her shit. You've done nothing wrong. And I would say a line from a, a Shins song that I like, you can't wrestle a dove. And at the same time, I was listening to her and responding appropriately. Yes, I hear you. Mm -hmm. can, we be, can we get back to the issue at hand, which is that you're undermining my parenting by verbally attacking me in front of our child when I'm questioning him about cheating on his homework? And it's not helpful. And she would launch into another unrelated attack. And the only hope you have in this dynamic is bringing the narcissist back to the original topic over and over and over. Now, realize it still may not be enough to get them to change, but it is your best strategy. What are the types of narcissistic parents? Well, narcissistic parents fall into two different categories, engulfing parents and neglectful parents. And both are incredibly damaging to children. Engulfing parents see no boundaries between themselves and their kids. Children are seen as extensions of the parent, not as another person. For babies and toddlers, this is fine. Small children often don't see themselves as separate from their parents anyway. An engulfing parent uses tactics like parentification, infantilization, and triangulation to keep the child close. This type of parent will ignore all boundaries as a child ages, seeing no problem asking overly personal questions, not giving them time alone, reading the child's emails and personal stories. They will also isolate the child and sow doubt by gaslighting and getting the child to rely more on the parent's version of reality than their own. The second type is a neglectful parent. And these are parents who really don't care much about their children. Unlike engulfing parents, an ignoring parent or a neglectful parent sees the boundary between themselves and their child. They, they can see it and they have no interest in their child. And this can be really confusing and bewildering as the child grows to feel unloved, uncared for, hindering future relationships for this child. Often it gets so bad that a neglectful parent doesn't even bother helping a child with physical cleanliness, teaching hygiene, or helping with schoolwork. Sibling dynamics in narcissistic parent households. If there are several children in a narcissistic household, the dynamic may be one of the golden child versus the scapegoat, which can cause major friction and rightful jealousy between the kids. The golden child must stick to the script of reality as set by the narcissistic parent. Otherwise, their role can shift to that of scapegoat. The golden child is seen as an extension of the narcissistic parent. They can do no wrong. And even the most minor of achievements are cause for celebration, admiration, and rewards. The scapegoat child, on the other hand, is to blame for all of the family woes. While the golden child can do no wrong, the scapegoat child can do no right. All achievements are dismissed. Clearly, this imbalance causes problem, problems between the kids and offers the narcissistic parent the opportunity to triangulate. As the narcissistic parent acts as a go-between in communication between the kids. Because the narcissist is always seeking to control the flow of information between people so that they can control the narrative and make themselves look good. Traits of narcissistic parents. While these traits may not match all narcissistic parents, these are some common traits among them. One, 
A narcissistic parent has difficulty understanding the emotions of empathy and how to create meaningful connection. As the personal needs of narcissistic parents dominate, these parents have little room for the needs of anyone else. It makes it almost impossible for these narcissistic parents to relate to the feelings and meet the physical and emotional needs of their kids. Two, a narcissistic parent owns the successes of his or her children. So in the narcissist's mind, he or she has been sacrificing everything for his or her child, and the child must reciprocate by performing at or above expectations. These childhood achievements are then owned by the narcissist as their own. He's a great soccer player. It's, it's my genes. I was always athletic too. Three, narcissistic parents must be in control no matter what. The narcissist controls his or her kids by dictating how these children should feel, should act, and their decisions that they're making. This can lead to adult children of narcissists being unsure of what they themselves like and want out of life and even how to make a decision. So often they never learn to be autonomous and make their own decisions. Number four, narcissistic parents emotionally blackmail their children. What? A narcissistic parent often is indulgent, kind, and sweet if a child is behaving in the way that the parent wants. However, the moment a child is disobedient, a narcissistic parent becomes enraged and cruel. This show of I love you, go away, creates insecurity and dependency among children of narcissists. My ex-wife would tell my daughter that she was ungrateful frequently when she did not do as she wanted. What was this based on? The fact that my daughter wasn't grateful enough for the house that she lived in at times or the food that her mom provided. That was pretty much all she provided. When she was still going over to her mother's house, my daughter would ask me to pay for all her groceries. So her mother could not use this against her. That was as she was kind of learning the patterns. She and I also saved for years for a car so that her mom couldn't pull that manipulative string. She did the same with her iPhone. She wanted to make damn sure that her mom could not use these things against her later, which she regularly did. And it got so bad for my daughter over at her mom's house that she eventually attempted suicide on one more weekend where my ex had custody, yet she chose to leave the state for a trip and left her with her stepfather, for whom my daughter has little regard. Her mom didn't even come to see her when she got out of the hospital. What's more, her mom was more concerned with the trauma my daughter caused her stepfather than with the reasons that my daughter felt she needed to end her own life. And that's a pretty good summary of narcissism right there. So how do narcissistic parents control their kids? These control mechanisms include codependent control. I need you. I can't live without you. This prevents children of narcissists from having any autonomy from living their own lives. It keeps them enmeshed with the narcissist. Number two, guilt-driven control. A classic. I've given my life for you. I've sacrificed it all. I put a house over your head. I put clothes on your back. I put food on the table. So long as they're... Sorry, this method of control creates a feeling of obligation in children that they, quote, owe their narcissistic parent and must behave in a certain way to make their parents happy. Because that's really what it's all about. Number three, love withdrawal control. 
You're worthy of my love only because and when you behave the way I expect you to. If their children are behaving properly, a narcissist will be loving. That love disappears and is withdrawn the moment a child doesn't meet expectations or challenges them. Number four, goal-oriented control. We have to work together to achieve a goal. These goals, however, are generally the goals, dreams, and fantasies of the narcissist themselves. Because a narcissistic parent lives vicariously through his or her children. Number five, explicit control. Obey me or I will punish you. Children of narcissists must do as they're told or risk shame, guilt, anger, or even physical abuse. And these children never want to embarrass the narcissistic parent because they will definitely pay for it later. Number six, emotional incest control. You're my one true love, the one. You are the most important person to me. You are everything to me. An opposite sex parent will make his or her child fulfill the unmet needs that they have. So how do narcissistic parents abuse their children? Well, narcissists have many subtle and some not so subtle ways in which they dole out their abuse. And some of these include compulsively lying to children. Their needs overwhelm the children. They ignore the needs of children. They make the child feel as though he or she doesn't matter. They put their own parental needs far above those of the kids. They mold their children into an ideal image, their ideal image. They promote and foster a dependent relationship between parent and child. They distort the concept of love. They manipulate for pleasure. They say one thing one day and something else the next. They are untrustworthy. They will use the child's vulnerabilities to exploit or manipulate the child. They subtly and not so subtly insult the kids. They ignore personal boundaries. They treat others as objects, not as people. Back to the lack of empathy. They make the child feel as though he or she is insane. So what do you do with a narcissist? Well, if you're stuck with a narcissist who has targeted you, your goal should be getting out of the relationship. If it's a close family member with whom you don't wish to cut ties completely, fair enough, then you need to work very hard on setting clear and firm boundaries so that they don't destroy your trust in yourself. If you're stuck with a narcissist, basically what you have to do is internally not let them gaslight you. And so you've got to coach yourself and remind yourself to continually trust your own experience, your own perception of reality, your own memories, your own thoughts, your own senses. And remind yourself frequently that you understand and perceive reality more accurately than they do, regardless of your age. I don't care if you're 8, 9, 12, 15, 21, 81. You understand and perceive reality more accurately than they do. And you know, keep in mind that you're not their therapist or their teacher. <laughs> After all, the chances of them learning is slim to none. So your primary goal becomes to protect yourself and protect your mind and your heart. 
So one of the main keys is to make their behavior less harmful to you. Now, what about if you're the adult child of a narcissistic parent? Well, healing from such a traumatic childhood is absolutely a big task. Having your own emotional needs unmet for so long may make the notion of recovery seem or feel impossible, but it's not. It, it can take some time, but healing is definitely possible. So here's a couple of tips. Um, this is from, I think, the website for adult children of narcissistic parents. You want to begin working through the grieving process. Allow yourself to grieve the parent and the childhood that you never had. It's kind of the death of a dream, death of a ideal relationship idea. And you're going to have some strong feelings about that because it's not fair. And it is tragic. So realize that there's some grief that has to be dealt with. Acknowledge that you've likely never learned how to properly deal with your feelings. And begin to start figuring out how you do feel. Begin working on greater emotional granularity. And then begin to start working through those feelings. And don't, don't get down on yourself or start beating yourself up for anything that you feel around this. Everything that you feel, you are entitled to. Now, how you deal with that feel, feeling, how you behave as a result of that feeling, that's a different matter. In other words, you can be really angry at your narcissistic parent, but you can't go burn down their house. And, and you, it, it's a tough one because you can't even really, I wouldn't recommend even going to them and telling them how angry you are. Because what's going to happen, they're going to deflect, they're going to externalize blame, and they're going to gaslight you. You want to work towards, and this one's really important, you want to work towards loving and accepting that little child inside yourself in the ways that your narcissistic parent never did. And what I've started doing is going back in time to times when I was hurt, scared, angry, panicked, alone. And I will, in my mind's eye, I will imagine myself now as an adult, kneeling down, scooping up that hurt child and telling him, hey, take a deep breath. You're safe. I got you. It's going to be okay. And you can add in whatever you need. I love you. You're worthy. Things will get better. But I think it's important to kind of go back and reassure that inner child in most of those frightening, traumatic situations. It's, it is viscerally, palpably helped. It, viscerally and palpably, palpably um, helpful. Like you can feel it in your body. That's an easier way to say that. Um, you want to stop hoping that your narcissistic parent is going to change. Truly, I've seen few narcissists ever change meaningfully. The odds are not with them changing in a meaningful way. It just really doesn't happen. And remind yourself every day that you need to take care of yourself, that your needs for self-care are incredibly important. And you must put those needs number one on your list of values because you've got to be able to fill up your own bucket so that you have enough to sustain your journey and to support others. If you don't put self-care number one, easy to get burned out and exhausted and stressed out and wiped out.
I also want you to remember, and I need you to listen to this carefully if you're the adult child or if you're the child of a narcissistic parent, you matter. You matter a lot. You are worthy. You are worthy of love. You are worthy of success. You are worthy of happiness. And the only thing you need to be worthy is simply the fact that you are here breathing, just like the other 8 billion people on this planet. They are just as worthy also. And you don't need to harm yourself or hate yourself. Just keep, and I like the loving kindness phrasing of, may I feel worthy? May I feel worthy of love? May I feel worthy of accepting myself? May I be happy? Because if you say to yourself, I am worthy or I am loved, I think the dynamic in the mind is that there's a part of our mind that will argue back against that or can. And the phrasing from loving kindness is more of a gentle request. And at least in my own experience and that of my clients, I don't see or hear of a arguing back to those requests. So may I feel worthy, may I feel worthy of love, may I feel worthy of happiness, Uh, may I be happy. It's a good way to go and do those affirmations daily. And stop being afraid of that narcissistic parent. You're an adult, you survived hell, and now you need to reclaim your life as your own. And you can start by erasing that fear. You can establish boundaries, you can limit communication, you can limit time with them. You can retake, reclaim control of your own life. And they really can't do much to you anymore um, in most cases. And you want to get rid of that. You want to work to get rid of that feeling of being a fish out of water, of not fitting in, of not belonging. That feeling was put there by your narcissistic parent and it has got to go because it's not true. It is not telling you the truth. Because you are not alone. Many of us have been screwed or harmed or fucked with by narcissists. Again, if they're one out of 10 people and every one of those narcissists has a ripple effect and damages, I don't know, 10 people, that is a lot of people. So... Find a therapist who specializes in treating adult children of narcissists. Um, Learn to be autonomous. Start by making small decisions for yourself and learn that you, yes, you, are in charge of your own life. And again, you are more than worthy. No matter what your narcissistic parent said, you are more than worthy. One of the other issues is guilt. (laughs) Ah, guilt the best friend and worst enemy of an adult child of narcissists. And this may be one of the hardest of all the feelings to fight against. And I would say guilt and shame, but it's really important to begin to do so. When that guilt is gnawing away at you, you can tell it to piss off. You can ask yourself, have I done anything wrong? Have I done anything to deserve this feeling of guilt? Because many times our guilt is just lying to us and blowing things way out of proportion. 
And I think of guilt on a one to 10 scale, one being I feel guilt very rarely, 10 being I feel guilty all the time. Most people I talk to are at like an eight, nine or 10 on that scale. And that means that our guilt is often lying to us and trying to get us to feel badly about ourselves when we've done nothing wrong. So I love that question, have I done anything wrong? And you don't need to feel guilty if you cut off communication with your narcissistic parent or if you stay in touch with them. Just if you stay in touch with them, keep your expectations minimal. And this is repeatedly what I've told my daughter. Look, it's important for you to have a relationship with your mom. Just know what she can give you and know what she can't. And, you know, I I don't say this, but she can't give you empathy, validation, affirmation, or emotional insight. She can pay for lunch and take you shopping. So take what she can give. And remember that your needs are critical. They're important. Do not be afraid to make them known and learn to begin to ask for what you need. That process in and of itself might take several years. (sighs) Okay, wow, a lot of talking on this one. So how do you identify a narcissist? Well, there's a few tips here that can help. And and I'm back in the dating pool right now um, because I ended my relationship with Jory, which is a whole other story. But um, and I I, people are always asking me, you know, how do you identify a narcissist when dating? Because you want to find out as soon as possible, right? You don't want to spend any time, any more time than you have to with someone who's narcissistic. Well, this one's pretty interesting. Researchers have discovered the quickest way to tell if someone is a narcissist is to simply ask them. There's a new study that describes a single question that appears to be nearly as accurate as identifying narcissists than a commonly used diagnostic test 40 items long. What's that question? That question is as follows. To what extent do you agree with this statement? I am a narcissist. And the word narcissist means egotistical, self-focused, and vain. That's the whole question. To what extent do you agree with this statement? I am a narcissist. The word narcissist means egotistical, self-focused, and vain. Because apparently narcissists have no problem admitting that they are narcissists. They think they deserve special treatment and they don't try to hide that from other people. In 11 different studies with more than 2,000 participants, the research team found that people who scored high on what they called their single-item narcissism scale, which is that question, also tested for other traits associated with narcissism, including low empathy, less committed relationships, a preference for non-social rewards, higher aggression, and even a belief that they should be paid more than their colleagues. And Interestingly, 1% of those 2,000 people actually rated themselves a 7 on this scale. A 7 meaning, I am a fucking narcissist. So there's people that actually said, yes, I'm highly narcissistic. So some other tips. Carefully listen to how they talk. A person with narcissism may take over the conversation and not be that interested in what you have to say unless it's a compliment about them or a question about them or something positive about them. You get the the theme there. They really don't ask questions of you often, if at all, because they really aren't that interested in you unless they want something from you and then they might, you know, manipulate you. 
Other things to listen for. They frequently interrupt you and never really seem to genuinely listen. They speak in superlatives. Everything they've done or everyone they know is the best. And many others are the worst. The experiences they've had are the greatest. And everyone's else, everyone else's experiences are shit or just you know not that big a deal. They might also flatter other people insincerely for some type of gain. And as I said before, they know emotion words and can speak them at the right time, but do not feel the actual emotions in their body. And this lack of empathy and emotional lack of emotional awareness, it can be felt internally when you tune into your own empathy. So imagine you're out on a date and you want to discern a narcissist fast. Pay attention and see if you get like a plastic feeling or no feeling in your body when they're speaking about something emotional. And this means that you're picking up on their lack of emotional depth. It's a great red flag. You can also watch for small insults and negs. That's the pickup artist term, which are veiled compliments that end in a put down. Um, you know, uh, let's see. What? Um, boy, that that skirt. I've never seen that skirt on anyone look good, but it looks good on you. Or I don't really like red redheads, but it looks good on you. So it's kind of this mixed bag of um, insult and compliment. So watch for these small insults and negs. These can be a small red flag to pay attention to. Also, ask about their past relationships and gauge their responses in terms of how much responsibility and accountability does the individual take for the breakup. Because if all their relationships ended because of stuff the other person was doing, if they take zero responsibility for why it ended, you might have a problem on your hands. And remember, as always, look for constant externalization of blame. So how they act. Narcissists will rarely seem, you will rarely see genuine thoughtfulness or empathy in a narcissist. For instance, if you're supposed to go shopping with this person, but you get seriously ill, they will get annoyed that their, their plans were ruined rather than feel bad that you're sick. If you see a news story about a murder, they might comment on the killer's stupidity for getting caught rather than having empathy for the victim. If they do show interest or attraction in you, you might notice that they're coming on strong and fast without really knowing you yet. And this is called love bombing. They'll tell you how much they love you after dating for a week or two. They'll shower you with gifts. They always want to talk to you. But it's a strategy to get in with you quickly. And that can be a red flag as well. And you can always, and this doesn't really help when you're dating, but you can always identify them when you end a relationship with a narcissist. Because at that point, they will rain down insults, vitriol, and anger upon you. They'll say it's all your fault. They'll call you a narcissist. If you were married, you can expect a really contentious divorce. My divorce lasted 3.5 years in litigation, with my ex lying about everything under the sun. She underreported how much she made annually by 120K. She inflated her expenses by 75% said she didn't know. In deposition, she said she didn't know how much she charged her own clients. And she's a sole proprietor. She inflated my revenues by 300%. She tried to destroy key evidence, like her appointment book. She said, just showed up in a bag of liquid chemicals. I don't know how it got there. 
but we left it in there for four months and now we're deciding to give it to you. So it just sat in a bag of chemicals for four months. Yeah, we didn't want to damage it by taking it out. And, you know, this all was despite her knowing that there was no way she could back up her statements with facts. And at the end of trial, a judge ordered her to pay $50,000 of my attorney's fees because she was so deceitful. And this ruling for attorney's fees was five times more than my attorney had ever seen in 20 years of practice. The truth just does not matter to these individuals. They can justify how they behave based solely on what they need or what they feel they deserve. So how does a narcissist speak of themselves? Let's look for some other red flags. A person with narcissism might frequently remind you of their accomplishments and successes. At the core of narcissism, remember, is insecurity. The person needs constant validation to fill that void. Or you might be seen, you might be perplexed by the opposite. Someone might speak excessively negative, negatively about themselves, seeming introverted and self-focused, but not in a grandiose way. It's kind of like fishing for compliments. They might sound like they have low self-esteem or lack confidence, but then get really defensive if you agree, if you don't give them the compliments they're seeking. And you might hear them talk about themselves in a way that essentially says, no one can talk badly about me but me. In that case, it might be covert narcissism. And, you know, as always, when a person with narcissism feels slighted or humiliated or criticized, they generally tend to lash out in anger or rage. Uh, one last interesting finding, a review of 437 studies, so meta-analysis, found that narcissism is a strong risk factor for violent and aggressive behavior across the board. Narcissism was linked to all types of aggression, whether verbal, physical, direct or indirect, bullying, or displaced on innocent targets. These findings were consistent whether the subject was a college student or a member of the general population. Whew. So my hope for you is that after this episode, you will have a better idea of what narcissism is, how it comes to be, how to identify it, how to deal with it if you have one in your life, and what to do about it. It is a big deal. These individuals are destructive. They leave the, a negative ripple effect that has to be seen to believed. It's terrible. Again, potentially one out of every 10 people has NPD, and far more than that have strong narcissistic tendencies. And one of the things that angers me most about these folks is that our society runs on trust, and they knowingly and actively work to destroy that trust. And in so doing, threaten the very fabric of our society. I mean, all you have to do is look at what's happening on the political scene lately. So hopefully this provided you some useful information. Hopefully you learned a little bit. And if you liked this episode, or if you loved it, please be sure to rate, review, like, share, whatever else you do with podcasts. And if you didn't like it, it's okay. You don't have to do a damn thing. That's it for this episode of The Evolved Caveman. I'll see you next week. Bye-bye. 
Thank you for listening to the Evolved Caveman Podcast. If you like what you've heard, support us by subscribing, leaving reviews, and sharing the podcast with friends and colleagues. For the latest, most powerful tools to connect with like-minded men, join the Facebook group at The Evolved Caveman. Follow Dr. John on Instagram at The Evolved Caveman, all one word, or join the email list by visiting guidetoself.com. 